Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome into Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It's Monday night when I'm currently recording this one. Not a lot of Nuggets-specific stuff to talk about. I did write a good article over this weekend that posted on Monday morning. That was about Nikola Jokic and what his weight loss may look like from an offensive perspective for the Nuggets. If you're interested, I will write a defensive perspective as well, because I think that's actually probably the more interesting one. But the offensive one is something that I think fans can focus on a little bit more. And I actually think that Jokic has some room to grow in terms of becoming a better offensive player and a more consistently dominant offensive player than what he even is. And what he is right now is a very dominant offensive player, so all good. Um... On this episode, it's going to be mostly focused on a Q&A between, or from questions that I received on Twitter. Uh, some of that is ranging on stuff that's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Some of that is going into the future and talking about the offseason and what I expect the Nuggets to do, what I hope the Nuggets should be doing. Uh, but we'll get to all of that in just a second. One thing that I did want to talk about, though, before recording this podcast, a segment with CBS4. Michael Spencer on Twitter, he posted this. Um, Michael Malone shared with him in a segment that they had previously recorded that he had dealt with coronavirus in the weeks following the shutdown of the season. I think that's notable. I think it's, first and foremost, I'm glad to hear that Coach Malone's doing well, his family's okay. That's the most important thing with any of this. But it shows that people should be taking this as a great warning. And People should be taking COVID seriously. More infections are going to happen. And in the NBA, there are infections that have happened that haven't been announced by teams, that haven't been shared publicly. The spread of this disease was a lot more widespread, I think, than people are realizing. It it just wasn't publicized. It wasn't brought to the attention of a lot of people, and that's one of the reasons why the NBA is doing all that they can to make sure that the Orlando bubble is going to be as safe as they can possibly make it. They're trying to iron out all the cracks. The players are in on this situation. They, they have concerns with some of the living situations that they're going through. But a lot of those situations are kind of necessary because this virus spread very quickly, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks in our world. COVID spikes are pretty pretty high from, from the United States perspective, at least. We as a nation haven't done a great job of following the social distancing requirements through. And because of that, we've seen major spikes. We've seen major, major problems throughout the country and mostly in hotspots around places like Arizona and Texas, but also in Florida. And that's a big deal if you're the NBA. 
the bubble is in Orlando. That's that's smack dab in the middle. So I think what the NBA is doing in taking their time and trying to make this work, uh, it's necessary. You have to figure out every possible obstacle. You have to go through every medical procedure. I was hoping that we would hear about some of this stuff a little bit sooner than we have, but uh, life goes on. You gotta gotta roll with the punches, and the NBA is clearly doing everything that they can from a from a turning over the rocks litigation perspective on all of these things. Um, but on Malone, um, he could have made things about him in this situation. He could have made this and could have shared and opened up to the world about how, how it was important that everybody social distance. But one of his endearing qualities, maybe his most endearing quality, is that he's just a, a tireless worker, somebody who very much straight and to the point wants to get the job done. And he has continued to embody that throughout this time, throughout these experiences. And I commend him for doing that because lesser people could break down in that situation and not necessarily handle things in a, in a cogent way. But Malone is great. He's doing a great job for this Nuggets organization. And we may crack jokes about the rotations or, or certain decisions here or there, but overall the Nuggets are in good hands when Michael Malone is at the helm. Okay, let's get into this Q&A, starting from a, a not necessarily a, a serious or, to, or not super basketball perspective, but just trying to figure things out from there. From Michael on Twitter, are Altitude and Comcast going to screw us out of watching games when the games start? Well, first of all, I hope the games start. I really do. I think that would be great. And I think there's a less than 100% chance that they do now. I still think that the NBA gets back on track and that they figure things out, but there is at least an argument that they don't. Uh, but from my understanding, many of the games are going to be played on national TV anyway. And because the NBA is going to be one of the only things on right now, it would make sense for those national networks to pick up as many games as possible because people are going to watch. If the NBA is the only product on TV, then you, you better be damn sure that those teams are... They're hoping that all of those games are showed on ESPN, on TNT, to rake in as much of that extra TV money as possible. That's going to keep the salary cap up, so everybody wins in that situation. Um, as for Altitude, I haven't heard any details on if special coverage is planned for these games, or if a temporary deal could be signed between Altitude and Comcast. That would seem like the best case scenario for all involved, just because this is a lot of revenue that's in these hands and both of these companies could really really use some of that extra revenue with coronavirus spiking and and most of the games for all of these networks have been shut down and the nuggets haven't had any tv revenue or altitude tv hasn't had any revenue come into them at all so if i were in their situation i would if if it's comcast if it's altitude any of these programs I would be looking to come together on this and come up with a temporary arrangement so that Altitude can show these games on Comcast and get the bulk of the Nuggets fan base watching these games again. That way they can they can have a taste of what's really going on, who will be watching these games locally, and see that there's probably a, a 
major desire for the Nuggets to be on TV. So if that's the case, then they could then work out a deal. If the Nuggets are eliminated from the playoffs, they can work out a deal in the offseason and then try to get the Nuggets and, and Altitude and Comcast all on the same page going into the next season. Because this has gone on for long enough, and I know fans are really pissed off. Uh, Altitude needs to get their stuff together, too. It's not just Comcast being big bad, it's it's Altitude being being unwieldy and, and not willing to, to move on certain things as well. So I think that if, if I were to guess, no, I think those games probably aren't going to be showed on Altitude at this current moment. But I have hope that people come together and realize that this is bigger than just making a little bit of cash, but they can make cash in the in the interim and strike a deal. Next question from Mitch on Twitter. You spoke about maybe purchasing a PS5, PlayStation 5. What's the first video game you ever played? This was a fun one for me to think about. It took me back to memory lane. I had previously talked on Twitter that, hey, with all of the the video game consoles being released, it would be cool to get a PS5. Should I get a PS5? Uh, my first game that I remember playing extensively was Halo 2. Um, it's, it's the one where I, I remember the gameplay. I was 8 or 9, and that's when I first really got into Xbox games. It was the first campaign that I really played through. I played games before that. One of the ones that I, I can really think about in my head was NHL 2003, which kind of sounds wild because I have I have really no interest in hockey whatsoever. But for whatever reason, I, I was playing that game, and, and it wasn't really about the hockey. It wasn't really about the hockey that really got to me. It was the soundtrack. Some of those soundtracks in those NHL games were great. And the song Sweetness by Jimmy Eats World, that was my main song from that soundtrack. And I remember it fondly. It was, it was great. And it's crazy that I remember that because I was seven years old. It was the, the best sports game that I played was probably... NCAA football 2012. Um, not a pro game, not a not a basketball game specifically. Not a foot. It was it was football, but it was college football. Uh, the road to glory mode that they had and that was a lot of fun. I I would always be for University of Texas. My dad was from Texas, and so I I got into that after Vince Young won the uh, he won the Heisman in or not won the Heisman, but he won the national championship back in 06, I believe it was. Uh, but that was a lot of fun, and, and those games were good. Games like NBA 2K and Madden, they, they had their moments for me, but every year they feel the same, and that, that always kind of bothered me. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the playoffs. We're going to talk about playoff seeding and scenarios for these Nuggets team because this is probably the most interesting part of the pod and figuring out, okay, hey, who do the Nuggets want to play, and can they do it? We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Nuggets numbers. Ryan Blackburn here. Let's talk about the playoffs. Uh, one question I got, I actually got a couple of questions about playoff seeding and scenarios in general, but I'm going to ask the one from Jack. 
In your opinion, what is the best case scenario for who the Nuggets could play in the playoffs in all rounds? And so I came up with a best case scenario for the eight playoffs teams, just because I, I think that's that's probably the easiest way to do this. At one, you have the Los Angeles Lakers. <coughs> uh, I don't think the Lakers are going to be caught by any team, so it's not realistic to talk about them falling to the second seed or the third seed or anything like that. At number two, you have the Denver Nuggets, and it's still not super realistic that Denver catches the Clippers, but it is possible. If the Clippers go 4-4 four and four, and the Nuggets go 6-2 and two, while also winning, actually, they don't even have to win against the Clippers. They could still just, that could be one of the games that they lose as long as the Clippers lose four of the games. But the Nuggets are two games back, basically, in the standings from the Clippers. They're two games back, or uh, they're one and a half games back, but because of the the number of games that the, both teams have played, win percentage, if the Nuggets were to only win one game extra, the Clippers would still be the second place team. So Nuggets have to win two more than the Clippers, and that would be the best case scenario for them. At three, you've got the Clippers. Uh, realistically, I didn't. I think that's the furthest they can fall. Uh, they're not going to fall any further than that. It would mean that if they went four and four, that means that the Jazz, who are in fourth place, they'd have to go seven and one, and the Rockets and Thunder, who are tied for fifth, they'd have to go eight and zero in order to pass them. So, I just don't think it's very realistic unless something catastrophic happens on the Clippers side. And even then, like they have a lot of depth, they could figure it out. Um, and number four, Houston Rockets. Number five, Dallas Mavericks. Number six, Utah Jazz. Number seven, Oklahoma City Thunder. And number eight, New Orleans Pelicans. So let's start from the bottom here. Uh, New Orleans is one of the teams, they're probably the team that's competing for the eighth seed that I think has the best possible likelihood to beat the Lakers in a playoff series. Could say the or could say the Portland Trailblazers, they probably have the best player, but I think the the best case for the Pelicans is probably that Zion Williamson just goes nuclear and nobody can guard him on either side. So if you're in that situation and you've got Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson on the floor at the same time, you can craft some pretty good lineups from that. So I wonder if they could beat the Lakers. It's obviously like less than a 5% chance just because the Lakers are very good and the Pelicans are an eight seed, but you never know. You get hot at the right time. Um, Yeah, they're the only eight seed candidate that I can really see it. But if the Lakers were to advance beyond them, the 4-5 matchup is really important because it would force the Lakers to play a difficult team that they could have struggled that they've struggled with all year. And the Houston Rockets are probably the team even higher than Denver that has a better as the best chance of upsetting the Lakers just because of the unique style that they play. They don't rely on anybody else other than James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Everybody else just has to be physical and switch and shoot the three when they can. If that team gets hot, if they could space the floor a little bit against the Lakers, maybe they could win. Maybe they could upset them. I doubt it, but maybe. Um, The reason why the Utah Jazz are at six is because in this scenario, they would face the Clippers. I think the Jazz are probably the team that gives the Clippers the most trouble 
just because Rudy Gobert in the middle, he can really protect the rim and makes it a little bit more difficult for them to run their offense. It's To me, that seems like a, a scenario where they start settling for a lot of mid-range jumpers, even though they'd like to get him off the floor. The, the Jazz would still play him. They would still try to they would do their best. And would Gobert get burned a couple of times? Yeah, but overall, he's still a very good defender, even on the perimeter. Um, so I think they have the best chance of upsetting the Clippers. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But then you have seven, Oklahoma City Thunder. That's the team that I think Denver has the second best chance against. I think they have the best chance against Utah especially without Boyan Bogdanovich, but second best against the OKC Thunder, who have a lot of guards. They have a lot of guards, and that's their strength. And Steven Adams is good, and Danilo Gallinari is very good. But I still think that Denver matches up with them pretty well. Um, Could be in a lot of situations where even Michael Porter Jr. could play in that situation just because if the, let's say the, Let's say the Thunder have to play, they can't play their three guards all the time. They would have to stagger those guys in certain ways. And in those situations, if you put Porter on the third player, then he has a mismatch no matter where he is on the floor. You can throw the ball to him inside, you could throw it to him on the perimeter, and he could shoot over whoever's out there. Uh, he could be a really big impact player in that situation. But yeah, they would get to be against the OKC Thunder. If Denver can't beat OKC, then they have bigger issues, to be clear. Assuming all of the playoff matchups go chalk, and the Lakers win against the Pelicans, the Nuggets win against the Thunder, the Clippers win against the Jazz, and the Rockets win against the Mavericks, I think that's actually probably the most likely. Um... But then you'd have the Lakers versus the Rockets and the Nuggets versus the Clippers. Could James Harden and Russell Westbrook isolate their way to victory against the Lakers? Maybe, probably not, but there's a chance. Could Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray find their rhythm against a team that's heavy on wings and light on defensive bigs and the Clippers? Maybe, probably not, but it's still Denver's best chance, I think. I think if if they can find a combination that helps them suppress Paul George a little bit, and only Kawhi Leonard is the one going off, they have a chance. They could definitely do it. If it all goes well for Denver, then that would mean that the Rockets will have upsetted the Lakers and the Nuggets will have upset the Clippers. It would be an upset, let's be honest. Um, then the Nuggets and the Rockets would play together. They would play in the Western Conference Finals. And at that, at that point, anybody's guess... The only thing that I can say for sure is that it would be a matchup nightmare for ESPN and TNT because they've been pushing the Lakers and the Clippers forever. And that would be hilarious. When we come back, going to talk about the offseason, going to talk about some number one, two, and three priorities on the offseason to-do list. We're back. Nuggets numbers. Ryan Blackburn here. Final segment on off-season priorities. This is from Peter Martin. 
what is your number one question or concern for the offseason? Mine is we have to re-sign Jeremy Grant. Keeping Millsap would be nice, but Grant fits so well and he's much closer in age to our core. Uh, yeah, I think I think I would concur with that. I think that's probably the best first option for the Nuggets. It's the thing that they have they have the most control over in that situation. And given the way that Jokic and Porter and Grant started to look together when they were playing, I think that projects really well. And if Porter is the player that the Nugget that Nuggets fans think he is, then you want a player like Grant who can also play next to him. Because Grant can defend those threes, Porter defends fours, Grant shoots 40% from three, Porter's the guy attacking the rim in the mid-range, and he's shooting threes when he gets the opportunity. So there's a lot of different ways those three players can play together. Grant could be your starting power forward, but also could play some backup five in certain situations. Uh, Porter could play at the starting three, but also move to backup four in certain situations. So there's definitely some utility that they could have with keeping those three guys together. Um, But the biggest thing that I want to talk about here is I want to rank my top three questions and thoughts with the assumption that the Nuggets, let's just say they don't win a championship in this year, in the bubble. Let's just say it's the Lakers or the Clippers or the Bucks. Uh, Denver puts up a good fight in the second round, but they fall ultimately. And that brings about the question, how do the Nuggets go from a fringe contender to a legitimate one? Uh, their overall talent level will have to rise, whether that's both internal or external. I think it could be both, could be either. Murray, Porter, and Jokic, they all remain a major part of that. I don't see any reason to go away from one of those guys unless somebody unexpected were to become available, like an, an all-NBA caliber player or better. Um, I still think Jeremy Grant fits, of course, and having those four guys in the lineup, I think that lineup has some strengths and weaknesses that need to be had. So... The Nuggets in that situation would need to decide if keeping Harris and or Barton, if that helps them maximize the players and what the team can do. Because right now, I think where the Nuggets have been at for the last couple of years, guys like Gary Harris and Will Barton, they've maximized the total wins the Nuggets have been able to accumulate. In the offseason, the Nuggets are going to have to figure out who and what maximizes Jokic, Murray, and Porter. Because those three guys are going to be the win drivers for the next several years. And you have to figure out, okay, how can we make those guys the best they can be so that the team can be the best it can be? Because I think it's if you have a bunch of talent that doesn't necessarily distinguish itself from one to the other, then you have the 2012-2013 Nuggets. 57 wins, quality team can beat anybody on any given night, but overall just doesn't have the talent level to clash with some of the highest caliber teams. Doesn't have your number one option. Now this team, Nikola Jokic, if you think he's a number one option on a championship team, which I do, then you're already most of the way there. You just have to figure out how to surround him best. So I think the first thing Denver will do, bring back Jeremy Grant on a fair deal. I've posited about four years, $50 million in the past. I think up to $60 million is fair. That's $15 million a season. I think he can and should be the starting power forward. Unless there's a better option that falls into Denver's lap, 
unless Anthony Davis demands that he goes to Denver or Giannis Antetokounmpo demands that he goes to Denver. I don't know how many players in the NBA right now can impact Denver on both ends of the floor the way that I project Grant to while playing next to Porter. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't see guys like Pascal Siakam or uh, Draymond Green or any of those other stereotypical power forwards that kind of make sense from a from that perspective. Like, who, who else would, would you guys think of? Like, when you kind of look down the rosters of most of these teams, they're pretty much set. Uh, 76ers don't have anybody. Pacers have centers. The Nets don't have anybody you'd lie you'd like. Maybe the Magic with Aaron Gordon. That's that's I guess one option. Maybe uh, the Bulls with Larry Markkinen doesn't really fit. Nobody on the Knicks, Pistons, Hawks, Cavs. Just a sec. Oh, somehow I called Siri. Um, there just aren't that many options. There aren't many options that make sense on the Nuggets over Grant. If you want to play a certain way, I think the Nuggets have to figure out the best way to maximize Jeremy Grant in that situation because he's the guy who's going to be around long term. Number two, you have to identify the best way to maximize Murray, Porter, and Jokic. And there are different ways to do that. I think Jeremy Grant is a good first step. Uh, But I believe that this step is probably going to involve trades. It's probably going to involve... Some that I think we should wait until the offseason before fully discussing. Uh, but I have an image in my head of what a Murray-Porter-Jokic team looks like. What that what that big three looks like. Who's playing with who. How many minutes is everybody getting. How many shots is everybody getting. What does that look visually like. Jokic is the primary facilitator. He's averaging over eight assists a night. Murray and Porter are each averaging 20 points per game. Jokic is also averaging 20 points per game. All of those guys are both playing together and separately so that they can each have their own opportunities. But I'm not sure if Gary Harris or Will Barton is the shooting guard in that scenario. I think there's definitely an argument for both of them. I think you need a secondary creator like Barton, somebody who's creative with the ball, who can get to the rim, who can create for others and can still hit a three. That's, a, that's important, and that's why he's such a good player for the Nuggets right now. Gary Harris is also very important for the Nuggets right now. He is a point-of-attack defender who can space the floor. Hasn't really spaced the floor lately, but he has shown the ability to hit above 40% from three. And at that point, there just aren't that many shooting guards that fit better on this Nuggets team than Gary Harris would. The Nuggets are going to need somebody who can cover for Jamal Murray off- or defensively. On, on most occasions. You'd rather not have Jamal Murray defending the opposing team's best perimeter player all the time. I don't think... I think both of those guys can fit, but they're not perfect fits. Neither is a perfect fit with what this team needs going forward. My belief is that Drew Holiday is the guy that makes the most sense for Denver in that situation, but he's... An important piece of the Pelicans right now. He makes sense for them. It doesn't necessarily make sense for the Pelicans to trade him to Denver and for the Pelicans to want what Denver can offer them. So I think the the step that Denver will have to take is they're going to have to kick 
the tires on other deals before going forward with what they have. Maybe they decide, hey, we're going to have Gary Harris and Will Barton fight for that starting shooting guard spot, and the other guy will be the sixth man. And maybe that makes sense. Maybe that's the way that Denver keeps the most talent. But it's also kind of expensive, and we're going to see whether Denver can afford that. The third thing that I think Denver needs to do is they have to identify a versatile third big that can be relied upon for 20 to 25 minutes a night. And for a long time, well, and for the last three years, Millsap has been the starter. He's been the guy who has been relied upon to play 30 minutes, then 27 minutes, then 24 minutes. But the Nuggets have relied upon him less and less. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if they decide to give Jeremy Grant the starting power forward job next year. It wouldn't surprise me if Millsap decided he didn't want to be back after that. Even if the Nuggets offered him $10 million a year to be the, the backup four and five, he would fit really well. Don't get me wrong. He would stretch the floor at the five. He would anchor the defense with Jokic off the floor. Could also play next to him, of course. Those guys fit really well. But I have a feeling that Millsap isn't back. And I kind of feel similarly about Plumlee. I also don't necessarily think he's the best fit. The Nuggets need a guy who they can trust to be a starter if Jokic goes down or or Grant goes down. They need a guy who they can feel like can play 20 minutes a night or 30 minutes a night if the situation calls for it. So here are a few candidates that I've thought about that I think might make some sense uh, to varying degrees. Uh, Tristan Thompson, Christian Wood, Jamichael Green, Myers Leonard, Kelly Olenek, Derek Favors, Nerlens Noel, Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, Frank Kaminsky, Harry Giles, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol. Okay, that's that's a list of 2020 free agents. That's a list of guys who the Nuggets will probably kick the tires on if if they decide that they want to go a different direction. And I think some of those guys really fit. Tristan Thompson, he could really fit as a, a great offensive rebounder next to Jokic. Somebody who can play the five off the bench. Basically as, as the, the anchor for a switchy second unit. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Myers Leonard would be a great shooting stretch five. Derek Favors would be a guy like Tristan Thompson who'd really anchor the defense. Be great for that role. Marcus Gasol, if he, if he decided he didn't want to be a starter anymore, if he wanted another chance for a championship and wanted to play with a guy like Jokic, then maybe the Nuggets could coax him into playing. Maybe those guys could play together. That would be cool. I'd, I'd love to see that. But whoever they decide to pick, even if they decide to go back with Millsap or Plumlee, I think at that point the Nuggets will have several players on their roster who they can trust, both now and going forward. They'll have Jamal Murray. They'll have their starting shooting guard, whether that's Harris, whether that's Barton, whether that's both of them, whether it's neither of them and it's somebody that they decided to trade for. They'll have Porter. They'll have Grant and Jokic. They'll have Monte Morris for a year before they have to decide what to do with him. They'll have P.J. Dozier if they decide to bring him back. I bet they probably go after a backup wing in free agency or the draft. Maybe they trade for said player, I don't know. Keita Bates-Diop is still waiting in the wings. He's a guy who I think makes a lot of sense. Torrey Craig they could also decide to bring back. Paul Millsap. 
uh, or a big man equivalent in free agency. That makes a lot of sense. So it depends on who the wings are for this Nuggets roster, but I think that they'll be a team that competes for a ring in the very near future. But you have to optimize your stars. You have to look at Murray. You have to look at Porter. You have to look at Jokic and say, okay, how can we get you guys to be the best we can be at the same time? Or maybe you guys are staggering lineups. Maybe you guys are trying to figure things out. But overall, it's going to be those three guys, I think. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to what the future brings with this Nuggets organization because there's going to be a lot of fireworks. And and those three together, I think, could be a lot of fun. But we're just going to have to see. And we still have a full playoffs to go before that. Well, if we play them, that's that's of course. But I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for throwing your questions my way. If you if you want me to continue to do this in future Nuggets Numbers episodes, then of course I will. Let me know how you like it. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. When we come back, I'm, I'm going to be on with Zach and Gordon. Hopefully we've got some, some good news on Friday with the NBA. And we'll just have to see how that goes. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'll talk to you guys on Friday.